Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest, author and international keynote speaker for corporate and education professionals, Joe Fingerhut. Hey, what you drinking? That's the key, right? Putting limits on ourselves because we have a tendency to do that. Almost before we can even articulate what we want, we start thinking of the limitations. We start thinking of, uh, well, this has never really been done before. And, you know, or maybe two people in the world are doing this and who, who, who am I? And, and we never even articulate the thing that we say that we want <laughs> because of the limitations we place on ourselves. It's little old me. That's the it's uh, imposter syndrome, but it's just not I'm too small for that. I, and then it's all the excuses. I, I don't come mm. from that type of family. I don't have that type of experience. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I'm not tall enough, rich enough, good looking enough, skinny enough. It just comes out of, I am not enough. I am not mm. enough. And then the whole, I can't, it's what you program your brain. I can't is wow. a sentence. There's a period. It's a statement. It's a declaration. And your brain is like, oh, you can't. Well, yeah, of course you can't. And here's why. Here's all the reasons. Mm. So you wow. change that to a question. And all of a sudden your brain's like, oh, that's what we're doing. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Hey, you know, another thing that you and I connected on, and you mentioned, you mentioned Michael Jordan. Uh, and I, I, I tell this story quite often uh, to my clients, to my coaching clients, because uh, people become very, very uh, clear about my fondness for Kobe Bryant. And because I talk about Kobe a lot, I, I really fell in love. I really fell in love with his work ethic. I, I was actually not a fan of Kobe while he was playing. But once he retired and I saw the work that he was putting into the play that he that we had enjoyed, and then his philosophy, his thought process, I started interweaving that into all of my coaching conversations. And, uh, you know, you and I had a couple conversations and I was talking about Kobe this, Kobe that. And I tell the story that the way I found out that Kobe passed away, that Kobe died, was a text from Joe Fingerhut. And you texted me and you said, 
Kobe, did you hear Kobe just died? I think my re- my reply text was Kobe who, <laughs> and that's how I, that's how I found out. Talk talk a little bit about what that philosophy, what Kobe's philosophy. Uh, Michael Jordan has that same type of philosophy to approaching his craft. How does that philosophy marry with what you do, and how does that incorporate into your life? I tell people that I was raised at the altar of Larry Bird and the Boston Celtics. And that's, <laughs> my dad is just a basketball head. And um, it's funny, people are always like, wait, you live in St. Louis, you don't even have a team. I know, it's kind of crazy. But my dad has just always loved basketball history. He saw Dr. J in person in St. Louis. He'll tell me about the Hawks and the Spirits and everything. So the Celtics were his team. We didn't like, but we respected the Lakers. Then we hated the Pistons. And then my guy came up, Michael Jordan and the Bulls. And cult, it was a cultural game changer between shoes and then hip hop came into the, came onto the scene. And then Michael's Bulls like climbed the mountain. Finally, they got past the Pistons and they're just winning. And to me, it was just like the standard. Like if you were going to look up to someone or to aspire or achieve, like you're going to go with the best, the greatest. And if you come of age as a baseball fan, right? And then you decide that the Yankees are your team. That's one thing. That's like a I mean, they're an established empire. I'm not taking anything away from that, but it's like, yeah, it's easy to be a Yankees fan. For Michael, I was always like, no, I like the Bulls when he just got here. You know, we didn't know he was going to be the greatest ever, right? So I always had a connection there. And then the more I saw him expand his success and his mindset, and then Kobe is by far the closest thing we have had to Michael in the league, as you well know. And one perspective that Michael always shared was he played for that person maybe in the nosebleed section that it was going to, I'm sure you've heard this, that that was going to be the only time they see him. He's like, if I don't have a good night, they're going to be like, that guy's not that good. His standard of excellence was based on that standard of just consistency and persistence and mastery. And I don't have the unquenchable desire to be number one that Michael had. And necessarily that Kobe had, because a lot of times Michael's desire, number one, came at the expense of other people. But what I appreciate is his pursuit of excellence and greatness. And that's what Kobe had as well. I don't have to be necessarily the gold medal winner or the world record holder. Like, it's fine if that comes. This is something we talked about when we were working together was you got to love the journey. You When you fall in love with the process... That's the that's the gold medal is just mastering that process. That's it. That's it. You, you know, w- one of the things I really appreciated about Kobe and Michael Jordan and others like that, and I see that in you as well, is that they saw their jobs as a craft. And that's something that I'm really getting into and embracing in what I'm doing now. For me, yeah, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm an executive coach, uh, you know, I'm a consultant. I mean, I, I do some speaking, but this this coaching thing is my craft, right? That's not a job. That's not a job. That's a craft. And I, I really loved how Kobe, you know, it's interesting. They tell the story famously about when he got drafted into the NBA. 
I mean, you know, phenom coming out of high school, only three or four people had ever done that before, get drafted into the NBA. And the day that he gets drafted, right after the draft, he goes to the gym to work out. I love the stories where you'll get, um, it'll be a rookie or a a young guy, like, I wanted to work out with Kobe. And I finally got in touch with him and he's like, all right, meet me at, you know, 4.30. So the guy shows up at 4.30 p.m. And then he talks to Kobe. Kobe's like, where were you this morning? He's like, what are you, what are you talking about? He's like, 4.30 a.m. I told you to meet me at 4.30 a.m. I'm not that guy. <laughs> I like my craft. It's not 4.30 a.m. for me. But the dedication to, and then I love the stories of him at the Olympics and all these otherworldly talents are on the team with him, Kevin Durant, Dwayne Wade, and they're all like, they show up to breakfast and Kobe's like full sweat, knees iced, already having done like a full workout in the morning. Like, yeah, I love it. The, the workout, yeah. the drive. Wow. So, so, Hey, so now you are, I, I've been, I've been waiting for this part of the conversation. Actually, there, there is a, um, an effort led by yours truly to define the connection between this crazy name for a podcast, whiskey, jazz, and leadership. And for me, as I've said a number of times, I, I've, I've put the three together because I, I like all three literally, right? So I'm just, I'm talking about the three things that I just literally enjoy. But there's a metaphor here that connects for me between whiskey, jazz, and leadership. Now, I, I know you're not a whiskey drinker, uh, and you know, I, I was checking out some of your some of your music. I mean, pretty strong music background that I would expect from a DJ. I mean, pretty strong '80s hip hop, uh, 2000 hip hop. Uh, you got some LL Cool J. I wouldn't expect some Ice Cube, but you got some Ice Cube, Eminem, Snoop Dogg. Got you, got you. Um, and you know, we we've talked about how uh, the leadership really impacts everything that that you do there there's a message that you are are trying to convey but how do all three of those things connect in your mind does whiskey jazz and leadership connect so those reflect your passions and even though i don't i'm like we talked about i'm not a connoisseur of whiskey as much as you are that reflects your passion um and then jazz i love that you talk about the freedom to create without sheet music, right? My mentor in entertainment, one of the earliest things he told me was being on stage is jazz. And I was like, what? I don't really under, he's like, there's no sheet music. You take what the audience gives you, it's freedom. And then the leadership is how you are being an example to other people. So I think your metaphor, it all wraps together with all of this, um, and you mentioned hip hop and rap, and I think a lot of it is it comes down to confidence, mm. the confidence in yourself to pursue the things that make you happy, the confidence oh. to just affirm yourself, to affirm like it's okay to pursue this. Like I don't have a lot of friends that are in the NBA. St. Louis, more people are like blues fans, and I'm just like St. Louis blues that is hockey, and I'm just like, all right, that's cool. I'm, when's a game on? When's a basketball game on? Right? It's the confidence to do that. And um, it's funny you mentioned, like I said, hip hop. Uh, I think one thing that always drew me to hip hop is that confidence. Mm. It's the the poetry, the poetic brag, right? 
you mentioned Ice Cube. I was like, today was a good day. Like, <laughs> I kind of got a triple double, right? And uh, when I talk about the, the poetry of hip hop, like one of my favorite lines, you know, Will Smith isn't exactly a titan of hip hop, but he's had his moments. And there's one song where after he did Wild Wild West, the movie, you know, he's on top of the movie game and he describes the check from Wild Wild West rolled in on a flatbed. Like I always reference that. That's like, that's a visual you can. So I think the metaphor that one of the key things is, to, is the confidence to just assure yourself you're on the right path. You're doing the right thing. And that allows you, that confidence allows you then to lead people. And this is what I'm passionate about because I'm mastering it. I have the freedom to explore it. And because I'm setting this example, I can help you. Wow, there there are so many leadership lessons in that, and I I always go to a, a Miles Davis quote, where he says, uh, to, "In order to be a great jazz player, you got to learn everything you can, and then forget everything that you've learned, and just show up." So it, I love your tie-in with confidence, because there is a confidence that you have to have in your ability to stand in your own shoes. And so many of us, so many people don't have that confidence. We, we um, spend so much time trying to mimic other people. And uh, there's a great book that I'm going through right now uh, entitled Wanting by Luke Burgess. And he talks about how humans are the most mimetic people on uh, uh, animals on the planet because we mimic what we see. We want things because our neighbors want it, or we want things because our parents say, this is valuable for you to want. But how much time do we ever spend focusing on what do I actually want? Irregardless of what other people around me might want, what do I want? And then do we have the, the confidence to say, this is what I want? And even more so, do we have the confidence to go after what we want, even if we're the only one on that train? And I just, I just love your points about confidence. So talk a little bit more about confidence as it pertains to deciding what you want. I love that you brought up that book, Wanting. I'm going to write that down and pursue that. So I want to focus on those two things, confidence and wanting. So the confidence part, I always come back to my dad. I don't know where his confidence in us came from. And it was never cockiness or arrogance, but like it always... Like I was in college, Galen, talking to my dad about, oh, just shooting around and playing, you know, and my dad was like, he'd be like, you know, it's not too late. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, you could walk on. Like, I'm like, walk on what? Like the roof of the parking garage? He's like, no, the basketball team. I'm like, what are you talking about? I go to a division one school in high school. Like I, I wasn't even like, I didn't even make the team. We had a very competitive high school and I got, you know, I made first cuts. I didn't make final cuts. I'd play in the rec leagues. My dad was always like, oh, you got to be in the top 15% of point guards in Fenton. Fenton's is a small <laughs> suburb where I live. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Which I, I mean, I would question that, but it was always there. Like dad always like, you're going to do it? Just do it. Like, yes. How, you know, that was probably the seeds for how can I? It's like, well, figure out. And it wasn't just basketball. It was grades. It was going to college. It was figuring out financial aid. It was getting jobs and doing different things. It was just, that's, so again, I've mentioned the word blueprint a lot. Thankfully, I had a very confident blueprint. My dad was just like, yeah, you, you can do it. And then the wanting, you talked about people trying to figure out what they want. 
And I would even argue probably similar worldwide, but especially in America, keeping up with the Joneses and what you uh. said, I want something because my neighbors want it or because somebody else wants it. So life isn't always about the what of what we want. It's the why. Mm. And when you're examining your wants, it's not just the what, it's why. Okay, you want a fancy car? Why? Be, is it because your neighbor has one and you want to be like them? Or is it because you actually appreciate the technology that's out there and the speed and the feel? And maybe it does intrinsically make you happy. For me, what do I want? I want experiences. Why? Because you feel them and you get to relive them. A lot of times with travel, it is said that traveling, you get to travel twice. It's the preparation of it and then the actual trip. I would argue you get to travel three times because it's the preparation. You're thinking about it. And you actually get to take the trip, but then it's the memories. The memories. You got a daughter that is not a child, not a little girl anymore. And oh. I'm sure you got memories of trips. It's like, hey, remember that trip? All of a sudden you're right back there. You're taking the trip again. It's great. Oh. So it's why do you want the things? What's it going to do for you? What's it going to allow you to do for the world? Wow. Hey, now I would love for you to talk about, and I'm, I'm going to get this wrong, so I'm, I'm not going to even try to tell the story. But I remember, I think it was in your book where you talk about the first time, I think you were in college or you're just getting out of college and you decided to travel around the world and you just decided, you know, I don't really have a plan. I don't really have a career. I'm just going to buy a ticket. Talk a little bit about that. Did I get that wrong? Did I make that up? No, that's it. I thought you said you were going to pronounce something right. I was waiting for you to be like, wait, wait, what are you talking about? Yeah, you got it. All right, here's, here's, here's the deal. Get to the end of college. I'd only lived in uh, the Midwest, St. Louis, and we'd taken road trips. My parents gave me an appreciation for travel, but I hadn't seen a lot of places and went to college in Chicago. I'm meeting people from all over the country. But as I said before, it gets to graduation. And you're just like, what does that mean? Jobs, bills, boring. I haven't been out of the country. If I get a job and I lock myself into something and I can't travel, have I missed out on something? So I got it into my mind that I was going to take one extra semester and study abroad. We had a campus in Rome. So I went to Loyola University of Chicago, had a campus in Rome. And my dad shot that down. He's like, no, you're not. That's impossible. Went down the parent list. You know, how are you going to pay for it? Do they speak English? Is it safe? Where are you going to go all age? Everything. But I was still like, how can I? And then I got a book and it talked about backpacking through Europe. It was Europe on 84 cents a day. That was the title of the book. And it talked about backpacking. And I'm like, this is the blueprint. And it talked about how there's hostels in Europe, simple student hotels. It's a bed and a roof. Back then it was like five bucks a night, 10 bucks a night. Talked about how the Eurail system allows you to take trains all over Europe. I, it just laid it all out. I'm like, okay, I can do this. And so I bought a plane ticket and a backpack and I got on a plane and I flew to Paris, France. I had never studied French. I was by myself. I did not even have a hotel reservation. The only plans that I had was that I had to be back in Paris in 10 weeks to get the flight home. And that was my life. A couple <laughs> weeks after college, I got on that plane. <laughs> it changed everything. Oh my gosh. And, and, and you, you, you mentioned you, you got all the parenting from your dad. I mean, he, he threw up all the parent uh, reasons why you couldn't. How has that changed the way you try to parent? Has that, has that experience for you changed how you try to show up as a parent? 100%. 
that experience, and that's kind of the, the common thread in my book is the relationship of my dad and I, as I navigated that adventure, because when I told him that my parents full on freaked out because at that time, my, my dad, my parents had been on like one flight in their life. And now they're talking about, wait, Europe, wait, not working. Wait, what? And that led to a whole process of working through. First, it was, uh, my dad had two rules. He's like, you can't come home broke. And we can't, we will not, it's not, we can't. It's like, we will not come over to get you. So like, if you call us, I'm in an emergency. <laughs> I'm like, all right, so what do we need? And he's like, we got to work with a budget. I'm like, what's that? So he explained to me what we had, we had meetings scheduled and he's like, you know, figure out a budget. He helped me work through that. And then we talked about communication. Like, what do you mean? He's like, we're going to have to talk to you every day. Know where you are. I'm like, that ain't going to happen. Like <laughs> the romance of this is getting lost. I don't want you to know where I am. And so we worked out, we'd end up talking like once a week, we do a long distance call. This was pre-internet. So there was no apps or zoom or texting or anything. And then just the preparation. So all those lessons helped me be in a position to succeed. That was where I prepared. And then I was able to set the sheet music aside and play jazz in my travels. And what that has allowed me to move forward with as a parent is just having trust in the kids, encouraging my kids, let's develop these skills so you have this foundation and then see where you can go with it. Because you never know where life's going to take you. And then what I've learned from my parents is bless their hearts. There were limits that was placed. And they had, I said, they established confidence. You can do anything you want. But it was also like, you can do anything you want, but you stick to this path, would you? Like, that's sensible. Yeah. That's what yeah. the path that we know. And I don't want to set those limits for my kids. I want them to explore. And by telling them, by verbalizing, I am happy with what I'm doing. This, I'm doing, I'm living this life of, of dreams that I just, I didn't really think was possible. I just wanted to see if it was, I want you, that's how I want you to approach life. Just yeah. pay attention to what sets your heart on fire, see if it's possible and try it. Wow. I mean, and I, I see, I see the principles from a few books uh, kind of weaving throughout your stories. And these are two of your favorite books, How to Win Friends and Influence People uh, and The Alchemist. And specifically, The Alchemist, I really see that throughout your life. I see, I see influences. Talk a little bit about what The Alchemist is about for those three people in the universe who have not read The Alchemist. <laughs> explain, explain a little bit what that's about. And then what are the... What are the principles that you can clearly see influencing how you show up as a professional, how you show up as a, as a father, how you show up as, as, as a leader in your own space? So I love how you put that. The three people who haven't read The Alchemist. If, if you're listening to this and you haven't read The Alchemist, get it soon. Go to get it from the library, order it from Amazon. It's an easy read and it is eminently re readable. I'm not a person who rereads books and I have reread this. I can't even count how many times and I've shared it with my kids. I've read it to them out loud. My kids know it. The Alchemist is a folktale and it's about Santiago, a young man in pursuit of his personal legend. And there's a lot, there's so many lessons in there, but the one thing that I take with it from The Alchemist and I apply to my life 
is this one simple quote is, when you decide on something, the universe conspires in your favor. And there's an element of woo-woo in there, if you will, right? <laughs> there's an element of, you know, the secret. There's an element of wishes if you think it, it'll it happen. You know, the whole think and grow rich, which I know is very central to a lot of what you uh, what you follow. And But, but the point is, you've got to start with the target. It's begin with the end in mind. And in The Alchemist, the focus is you focus on something, you make the choice, and then all of your choices are going to lead towards that. And the universe, that's so such powerful language, conspires in your favor. It's not you get what you want. I mean, that's a couple of single syllable words. Conspires in your favor. (laughs) That's so powerful. The first time I read that, I'm like, yes, yes. There's a sinister plan for you to win. Incredible. Just incredible. So that's what I, I mean, it's a belief. There's an element of faith in there. Um, it's easy to be cynical about that. It's kind of like the, uh, the principle of uh, getting a great parking spot. You got to believe that parking spot is there. What I've taught my kids, <laughs> if we roll up to a store, right? And there's one, I'm just like, we're going to find a good one. And we roll up on a good one. You know what I say? I say, oh, they saved a spot for us. That's what I think. The universe has conspired in our favor. Something as simple as a parking spot to something as grand as a career pursuit. The universe is looking out for you. That's another thing you and I have in common, man. And my family will tell you that I am incredibly obnoxious, especially during Christmas time, because there is supposed to be a parking space for me at the front of any store that we are going into. And I'm not talking about driving around for you know three hours until that space frees up. No, no. Dri- what, what store are we, go- are we going to Target? Uh, are we going? To, wh- wh- where are we going? Okay, there is. It, it doesn't matter. There is supposed to be a parking space right near the front door of whatever store we're going into. And on on those on those three weekends that there might not be, then I get indignant because there is supposed to be a parking space near the front door somebody i don't understand who who do we need to talk to to make sure they're on the memo stream um and that's just that to your point it's a belief it's a confidence that everything is supposed to work out in my favor because everything is supposed to work out in my favor so so hey okay now we we've had a lot of fun which is what i promised at the beginning uh but there are some very real leadership principles that if you're listening to this, it doesn't really take you very much to to pick out those leadership principles. But I would love, Joe, for you to just kind of bring to the forefront, what are some, some key leadership principles, maybe in the things that we've talked about, maybe something else that even business leaders would do well to leverage with their adult kids in their organizations because you, you you've talked about influencing people you talked about removing barriers you, you talked about um you know planning and possibility abundance i mean those are very hardcore leadership principles what else uh might uh, our listeners have missed if they were just listening to the fun that we were talking about you mentioned one of the other books that's very important to me that's uh, how to win friends and influence people I maintain, what a terrible title. I did not want to read that book. I don't need 
help making friends. I'm friendly. I'm charismatic. I'm magnetic, man. I, I generate friends that I've been trying. But if you can get over the title and you delve into the material, it talks about connection. And that's central to success. Whether you are a parent, whether you are a teacher, whether you are a professional, whether you're an entry level or mid management person or CEO or something, it's connection. And the biggest leadership lesson and principle at the core of my approach to life and leadership and, and career is, I mean, there's hundreds of definitions of leadership, as you know. My favorite one, leadership is getting what you want by helping other people get what they want. Servant leadership. When you see a way to help someone, I mean, and this comes back to parenting, like I said, when you turn the spotlight on everybody else, and when it's your kids, when you make them shine, you make somebody else's kids shine. So how this is, uh, it's like a waterfall. It's flowed through the various aspects of my career as I'm talking, I'm visualizing, like DJing helped me see this. When I first started DJing, there'd be a point in the party where like, hey, let's do this. And I'd get up and dance and make, and I'd be like, spotlight's on me. But then when a mentor was like, Joe, they're not here to see you. They're here to see the bride and groom and everyone else. I stopped making it about me. I get up with oh. the bridesmaids, the groomsmen, or crazy Uncle Bob, right? And say, check this out. And I would facilitate that. Now people are talking about that party five years later, right? I taught myself how to ride a unicycle in Japan. It's one of the biggest victories of my life. Bragging about yourself doesn't always have that. It's not that fulfilling. But then I say, I taught my kids how to ride a unicycle. I shared that skill. Wow. I didn't stop there. We rode around St. Louis and made a video of us as a family riding in front of monuments. And I shined the spotlight on them and then shined the spotlight on our city. And gosh, as a leader, you know, in a, in a company, people aren't going to remember, and this is, this is a cliche stereotype, but it's true. People are not going to remember what you say. You can tell people to do things all day long. They're going to remember how you made them feel. And if you are looking out for other people, if you have that feeling of abundance, it's going to take you so far because everyone is going to be like, I want more. Like, let's hang out more. I want more people to experience you. That is the momentum that has carried me this far as a parent, as a professional and uh, into this podcast. Oh, man, I'll tell you, because, you know, when we saw each other, uh, you know, we, we saw each other from across the room and, and we're able to connect. And I said to you then we needed to have this conversation on whiskey, jazz and leadership because of how much I know you are committed to fun and creating experiences, not only for youth, because you're you're working with some corporate with some corporate players as well. I, I've got another question, but I'm going to wait and bring you into the VIP room to, to get the answer to this. I want to know if it is easy or if it is challenging to get adults to play when you are in your corporate training, because I, I've got my I got my suspicion, but I'm going to ask the ex, the expert. What what final final thoughts do you want to share on this side of the velvet rope? Uh, as we as we close out it, yet another episode of Whiskey Jazz and Leadership. If you're listening to this and you're still listening, I appreciate all of my ramblings and stories. But uh, I just I want you to enjoy life. And if you're 
not enjoying life, try and examine why. Who are the people you're spending time around? What are the things you're pursuing? If you are wanting in any area, figure out what are the things that made you happy when you were younger? Like, what are the things that you don't do now for any reason that, uh, that brought you joy at one time? And if you're in a happy place and you want to continue to be happy, how are you continuing to contribute to the lives of other people? And I just want you to really encourage you, if there's any limitations in your day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year mindset, if there are limitations in there, I want to encourage you to just try it. Try that mindset shift for a day, for a week, and just think, how can I? If you have a question, if there's something you want to do, you know what? Okay, let me, let me see if this works. Let's see if this works. Okay, okay, brain. How can I? Let's, let's try what Joe said. How can I? Um, I mean, I got it on a bracelet. And I, I wear it. It's just a reminder. And, uh, and just see what happens. I'm not saying it's going to change your life overnight. Might not work miracles. But overall, step by step on the journey, I think you'll see that the universe is going to conspire in your favor. I love it. Guys, this guy is the real thing. We're going to put a link in, his, in the uh, body of this podcast. But go to joefingerhut.com. And you will know, like I know, that this guy is the king of fun. And if you hang out with him for more than five minutes and you don't have a smile on your face, you might want to ask yourself why. Because this guy is the real thing. So, Joe, with that, man, raise your glass as we head into the VIP room. And until next time, take care. Thank you, Galen. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.